tonight on Real Sports. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time for our very first uh, year's end wrap-up special. Uh, it's just like the ones that uh, Bryant Gumbel has on Real Sports. And so we've assembled our entire cast. We have... David Brown, who's here, he has a feature on David Bodie and Drake LaRoche's unlikely team-up on a mission to DePaul to expose an international yak molestation ring. Mike Pusateri is here with the final installment of his three-part series on Jack Sanborn's complete commitment to becoming the third Urlacher brother. <laughs> Jack's been hanging out at the Lake Forest Chili's, hoping to find a Lord of the Dance rebound date. And finally, Mike Donahue with an inspirational profile of Bears all-time leading receiver Johnny Morris, which ended in tragedy when Johnny broke both of his hips trying to show Mike he can still run the best button hook in the business. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Uh, good to be with you. It's great is to he have really this. still the Bears all-time leading receiver? Oh, yes. He, he damn right he is. 5,095 yards, right? It's just Barely, I think maybe 5,093. We just know that we unearthed it, that it was so laughably low. It just barely cleared the 5,000-yard mark. It's, it's remarkable. It's humiliating, really. You're so pathetic. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. 
I mean, everybody here knows Johnny. We're all, you know, at the risk of offending my fellow colleagues, all pretty long in the tooth, let's put it politely. Mm-hmm. And our, our memory of Johnny Morris, right, it's as a broadcaster, you know, like none of us saw him even play. Right, it's, right, it's, right, and and the and the host of the uh, the Mike Ditka show. That's right, and the Neil Armstrong show before that, and the Jack Hardy yes. show before that, yeah. and yeah, an icon really to us. So he had a whole act there, and that thing had arced and ended. Well, he's been off the air twenty five years, so you know, hangs up his spikes in I don't know nineteen sixty six. Didn't think he'd live to be he's still alive, eighty eight years old, and still Chicago Bears all the time. I like the Neil Armstrong show. I wish he had let Buzz talk more. And they just had Michael Collins driving around the studio in his car the whole time. That didn't seem right. Didn't they put Neil Armstrong at like a something that looked sort of like a, a Space Invaders game? And he would, uh, <laughs> you know, as if he were a former astronaut and, uh, you know, pressing the, the plays of the week or whatever. I, I remember this. Maybe. Maybe it's from a dream, but. Maybe that maybe that was Ray's TV pow on the Ray Rayner show. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that actually might you might be onto something, Dave, because you know Space Invaders pretty much was the peak before Pac Man, nineteen eighty seventy nine. Right. That fits the Armstrong timeline. CBS WBBM TV, the local affiliate. She was getting a little nutty with the graphics and uh, right. the crossover. So I, that's that's probably uh, not apocryphal. Okay. I don't know how you can find it though. Probably can't find it, but if, if Johnny's still, he's probably at the track if it's open. That's right. Maybe he, he was, would know. He would remember. Johnny was a legendary railbird, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. It's one of his big hobbies. So. <laughs> well, he's got to be really excited then about the Arlington Heights Stadium. <laughs> right. His world's colliding. So where are we going to put the horses? <laughs> Johnny, we're, we're not going to, we're not bringing the horses. Oh, well, screw that then. Was there an Abe Gibran show? How far back do we go? With these? I don't think. I, I don't think. I don't think there was television in that. Yeah, in those I, days. I'm going to just assume that was ushered in with the whole uh, new age of Jim Finks and everything. So when they finally, you know, hired a real live general manager in '75 and drafted Walter Payton and had out, you know. So I think Party was the first. I know there was a Party show and a Neil Armstrong show, and then. The Ditka show just, you know how like Oprah like started off just doing the local AM7, the AM Chicago show, and then it became, like Ditka took that Neil Armstrong show. I think it eventually became an hour long. Uh, it was, it was, it became very, and Ditka being Ditka, it was, it really, it was, it was next level by the time uh, Ditka was done with that. But The, the Abe Giverin show would have just been Abe going, Douglas! <laughs> for a half an hour every week that's it a huge barbecue spit that he would just like be slow roasting you know a pig throughout the show and give it to the guests you guys are just riffing but I w- th- that would be so cool if that was true and real <laughs> Abe Gibbard barbecuing on a TV show uh, wow. if Abe Gibbard lived 30 years later it would probably be happening why doesn't Chuggo do that with their uh, tailgates they go, don't they go live from a parking lot every Sunday that the Bears are home? They could do that. Do they really? Could oh, have boy. somebody roast a pig. That'd be fun. I couldn't think of what Chuggo was, but now I'm caught up. It's catching on. Right. They even, I think they even refer to themselves to that sometimes, so I get royalties. 
It's no man. It's no Manfred Man. I get a twelve seven percent. That's right. That's that'll be between my that and Manfred Man. You're just really cashing. That's your best like idea. Me. It really is. Yeah, in like twenty five years, I've had two good ideas. Ever. Neither of them. <laughs> neither of them actually pertain to anything I do. It's great. Yes. This Christmas special we're doing is is not one of them, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> now, so pro- we'll probably never actually air this. Well, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> just make you guys talk for an hour, and then I'll just forget to do it. <laughs> uh, so it's been quite a year uh, in Chicago sports. Uh, all the teams are doing great. Mm. <laughs> but uh, the Bears have a quarterback, and that's pretty much all that matters, right? I mean, would we have traded everything else <laughs> for well, one quarterback? I- well, how strange is it that the Bears are an absolute mess, but the one thing they have is a quarterback? Where that's just the opposite of what we're used to. Well, they have, well, they have nothing except for him. Yeah, and they they have the brightest future of any of the sports teams. Yeah, with one guy. Yes, I mean, I guess in theory, the White Sox should, right? No. The White it's Sox always finished. theoretical with the White Sox. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no. You know, it, it, I was thinking like, how, you know, what do we? How we're going about this tonight? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, it's a, it was a really bad year, and then I was thinking, is it one of the worst years in Chicago sports? And Andy, I know you and I sometimes would stumble across the 1990 season where the Cubs started 0 14, the Bears started 0 7, the Hawks are on it, except the Bulls won their yeah. fifth titles so that completely eliminated it. But I started thinking, just without looking it up, I'm going to be hard-pressed to find uh, a more bl- a bleaker season. And like you said, the Bears are actually the bright spot. But if, you, if you're going by record, it's obviously bleak for them. Um, yeah, but, but isn't isn't this year like every year in the 70s? Like well, every, every year in the 70s. Was but like- even, I think, I want to say even in the late 70s, early 80s, the Blackhawks would make the playoffs because almost every hockey team did then. The Bulls had a team that went to the 75 or 76 Western Conference, right, which wasn't on television, so nobody knew about it, but Norm Van Leer and the bunch uh, supposedly were running around. They had a brief, didn't you know, that they came back. And read, so you'd have to – it wouldn't be a whole decade because the, the South Side Hitmen challenge, the Cubs had a whopping 81-win season in 77. Remember, they are flying high in May, 29 games over. Yeah. Um, where all four of them could side, I this I, I would say without doing a whole lottery, this is definitely in the team photo. I mean, the, the, remember the Bulls were flying high in January, and then ever since then, that's about all you've had. And that's early other end of the calendar year. So yeah, Lonzo great. Lonzo Ball's knee fell off, and that was the end of that. They've been awful since then. You know, I I, I do want to just interject because I haven't followed the Bulls as much as I used to, but. Um, this is just a funny quick story and you guys I think might get a kick out of it but um, you know I turned 50 this year and a bunch of my buddies who also turned 50 we uh, decided to have a little get together and we're spread all out we got some folks you got a buddy in Minnesota one's in Denver uh, one's in Texas but had a buddy in Arizona we decided March you know that's a good place to be the Cubs will play uh, some spring training we decided to do this in January we're all looking forward to we booked the trip and after we booked it I just happened to look at the calendar I was like Holy shit, the Bulls are playing the Suns. 
they're like, so Avi, we got right on the horn. Didn't matter how many, you know, we we're way up in the nosebleeds because everything was sold out, but we got our seven, our seven tickets. So now we're really stoked. And at the time we bought those tickets, man, I was like January twentieth, and I think the Bulls were like first in the East, and Phoenix was first and first in the West. And so you know, we lived through the six titles, and we're starting to get excited, like you know, we how we schooled them in '93, and this is just going to be great. I swear, from the moment that like I hit purchase, like on the tickets. Like from that point, the Bulls just skidded. So by the time they actually showed up, man, it was like that game was in March, and Phoenix obviously had a really great regular season. Uh, but I felt like we were uh, rooting for the Washington Generals by the time they actually showed up. So that's uh, that's my Bulls memory. It basically just slid from January, and they haven't really stopped sliding. So and they were our highest hope. So it's your fault. Yeah. That's what you're saying. It is. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm here. In the spirit of Festivus, uh, to um, well, not air a grievance, but just offer up the, that confession. But yeah, well, everybody's gonna have to make way for the Cubs because 2023 clearly will be the year of the Cubs. Uh, they added uh, Cody Bellinger, former MVP, Jamison Tyon, former number two pick, uh, Dansby Swanson, uh, he's got good hair. The uh, so the Cubs waited to see uh, how much the other guys were going to get, and then they signed Dansby. Uh, but, uh, Dave, did you see that Carlos Correa's introductory news conference has had to been postponed in San Francisco because uh, they're not too keen on his physical? Have they figured out, um, has someone identified what the body part is that's wrong with him? It's not his back, I read. and He's the yeah. made it clear it's not his back. Wow, it's a mystery, huh? Well, that's good. It's better to be something else, but than the back, because he's had trouble with that before. Yeah, I read that too. That it isn't. It isn't it. But Jed's done it again. He's gonna yeah. swoop in and get him for four million a year. Yeah, we got them both. This is great. No, I say, and he could tell just by looking at him that he wasn't gonna pass the physical. So they were out on Korea. Dodge the bullet. <laughs> That's what Carter does. Carter just stares at people and tries to. Uh, I think he's. I think he's got weak knees. That's signing him. It's like uh, the guy in the natural is doing this. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the sporadic references to uh, what's it? Is it Carter Hawkins? Because I, I invariably I forget Carter Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Carter's the key to this whole thing. He's the yeah. He's the GM. They give him the most important yeah. stuff to do. So let's not. Uh, forget this who was it was it uh oh it was mooney it was on this very podcast i asked him what the hell carter does <laughs> and he had an answer carter apparently um is uh internal communications whatever that means and he's he's like the futurist he's looking at the roster down the road the minor league system whatever and jed jed is focused on the big league roster and the you know the the day to day and the external communications. Jed's Jed's the guy that's going to go sweet talk the media. So Carter has a very important job. Whatever it is. Boy, nobody's nobody's better in front of a camera than Jed. Jed and Carter are both aces. <laughs> the the Jed like tries to say things though. Like Theo was really good at only answering 
the part of the question that he's interested in answering. He wasn't going to give any more than that. Judd seems like the guy who really wants to tell you, like, what's what's going to happen, but he doesn't know. That's the problem. <laughs> I'd like to be perfectly honest, but I have no idea what we're going to do. Oh, thanks, Judd. That's nice. I saw somebody suggest that with the arrival of Dansby, that uh, Nick Madrigal is now expendable because you got Nico at second. And maybe you could you could trade Nick Madrigal back to the White Sox, who need a second baseman. I thought the uh, the Craig Kimball trade just grows darker for the entire world by the moment. <laughs> Every aspect and permutation is just uh, dying on the vine. Circular firing squad of a trade. Right. Yeah, my big concern is that Nick Madrigal has already played for both teams in the big leagues that are were ever interested in having him. <laughs> I, I have a theory on this. You want to hear the? I hear my theory. I I don't. I'm sure Madrigal is available. I don't think Jed is going to trade him on the cheap. I think Jed is way too invested in trying to make that work. I think we're going to see some sort of hybrid where they play Wisdom and Madrigal at third, and I could see the reasoning. They'll be like, well. <laughs> Wisdom hits a lot of home runs, but he strikes out a lot. And Madrigal has no power, but he can make contact. So if we combine them. But can he make those throws like no. without a crow hop? From I was third? just going to say, he can't throw the ball from third to first. Well, he, played short, no he played short. He played short in college. He can't yeah. play second, he though. He played short in he... college, and the ball rolled the last 30 feet to first base every time he threw it. But he can't play second base in a non shift MLB either. Well, but not no because range. of his, in the, the, yeah. the shovel pass and the pitcher work on the way to first base. <laughs> Hit the cutoff, man, Nick. <laughs> on the routine grounder to second. Um, <laughs> Six four. It happened a few out. times last year where they would shift him to the shortstop side of the bag, and he would get the ball, and he couldn't make the throw to first. And it's like, yeah, why are you put, why him. are you putting him there if he can't th- if he can field the ball and they can't throw it? Yeah. My guess is Nick is going to spend uh, a considerable amount of time at Des Moines. They're going to hope that he hits 340 down there and somebody is like, ooh, this Nick Madrigal, let's take a shot on him. Um, they also, I, one of the things, I, one of the reasons I guess they probably won't trade, other than they won't get any offers for him, um, is that Nico's injury history is not exactly good. And so there's a chance that you're going to end up, God, we need a second baseman. Although they are loaded with them. Um Bleacher Nation broke broke down all of the second basemen. What are they going to do with all these second basemen? Like <laughs> like David Bodie and Zach McKinstry and oh, Miles God. Miles Masturbator or whatever his name is. Like, and Mick Madrigal. It's oh they are loaded. Holy crap! Can you build a oh, whole yeah. team out of second basemen? Because the Cubs have. Woo. What's the Vegas yep. line of the Cubs? 108 wins. Is that the over under? Because I'm going over. I don't care what the number is. I'm going over. Over two seasons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the win total for the Cubs is 86. That's from now until July 4th, 2024. What do you think? Ooh, I don't know. Under. Um, yeah, it, it's remarkable just how little offense Nick Madrigal brings, considering how pint-sized he is and weak as our. Just, <laughs> oh, but he's hit everywhere. He's, all- he's hit everywhere he's ever been. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, okay, well, he's played a, in three years. He's played 142 games in the big leagues. Yeah. Three years. He's before almost he, played one he, season. Before he came to the Cubs, he had a combined like 300, about almost 55, 60% of a full season. So 
not even a full season. Barely that was such helped. a stupid trade when Jed made it, though. He's definitely going to double down on trying to make it work. Well, like he dodged a bullet by not drafting. He was already drafted way in over his head, right? That was the thing. Madrigal was what was he? A third pick in the draft, right? So fourth, I think it was fourth overall. So basically, Jed let uh, uh, our friend Rick Hahn off the hook. But he did well. But then he didn't because they got Kimbrel, and Kimbrel was terrible for them. He was. But they turned him into right. AJ Pollock, and now was, they've yeah, turned AJ okay. Pollock into nothing. <laughs> hence, hence Dave's. Uh, <laughs> Metaphor yeah. for whatever the Kimbrel, yeah. the Kimbrel currency is. Well, Dave Cody Hoyer though he could be the the magic bullet of that trade oh. for the Cubs. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot Hopefully about that. Put the magic bullet in him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way this can end. See, Jed, huh. do you remember? Now, Dave, you'll remember this. Remember when Kenny Williams traded for the wrong Dodger? <laughs> they traded yeah. for a prospect. The Dodgers had two with the same name, and he he got the one he didn't want. Right. I I think Jed heard Cody Hoyer and thought, oh, I've got my nephew as Cody Hoyer. (laughs) (laughs) What a nice, it'll be like a birthday present for my sister. And then he shows up. He's like, wait, you're not him. Oh, it's the Hoyer like the watch. Okay. Hoyer was actually pretty good for the Cubs. And then uh, he caught caught the Tommy John disease. He'll be back this year. Add that to their stable of incredible arms that they have. Slide next to a Brad Boxberger. Oh, that's right. We got we just picked up uh, Boxberger, who's been pretty good. I like him. You always know what you're going to get with Boxberger. He's pretty consistent. So okay, yeah, that was that was a good that was a fine was, signing. That one was that was fine. Jed's been pretty good in his two years at the helm of getting the the veteran relief pitchers. He's got a pretty good track record with them. Mm-hmm. He's been able to flip them. Um, hopefully, they're. I mean, who are we kidding? <laughs> of course, they'll be able to flip. Boxberger when they're at the deadline and they're 27 games below 500. But one of these days, it'd be nice to actually keep those guys and see where you end up. One thing the Cubs do have, which is uh, interesting, is knock on wood, if Adbert actually could stay healthy for a year, they have two multi inning relievers. Him mm-hmm. and Keegan Thompson. Now, just think all think about what uh, David Ross can do with that. <laughs> Puts his brilliant mind to it. Oh, Cubs are going to be unbeatable, I would think. Yeah. You can bridge the sixth and the seventh, and the seventh and the eighth. It's great, and maybe the ninth too. Every Is that like day. a thing now? Is that like a thing now? The multi-inning reliever. Uh... I think it was. You know what? It's funny. <laughs> I think it was a thing. And then it became less of a thing because people figured out that it's uh, you have to be really, really good to be able to do that. So um, and to be any more right. than have it another way. So because you're expected to do it like slightly more than every fifth day, first of all. Right. I would yeah. think or um, yeah, it's like some weird metamorphosis of the old middle reliever, but it's not it's. But that's right. interesting. It's already so you're saying it's already kind of scaled back a little bit in the short history that it's sort of been. Yeah, kind of like how uh, the opener never really spread that. Correct. Much. Yeah. So it's, it's still, still used. Sometimes, right. It's, usually it's just a raise. Oh, so. Good. So in in Adbert's case, it was because he, as a starter, whenever he faced a lefty, um, 
every lefty hit the ball like 480 feet off of him. And then when they dropped him out of the rotation, put him in the bullpen, and cut him down to two pitches and just let him go, he got everybody out. Mm-hmm. And then with Keegan, it was the first time through the order, he was really good. And then after that, it was not so good. So Makes you sense. never have to see the order again if you do that. But uh, people are touting all their depth in the pitching. You know, they've got got Marcus Stroman and uh, Justin Steele and now Jamison Tyon and they brought Drew Smiley back mm-hmm. and of course they have Adrian Sampson huh? <laughs> yeah that's what we get to Adrian I'm like okay we're out we've run out of depth you didn't mention the professor well and that's you know that's right when, when, when is Kyle well is this is it for him this is his last year I would guess last year on his contract. Now we guess his last year as a Cub. And when does he actually show up? Now Mooney said that um, had the Cubs not been terrible last year, Kyle probably would have kept pitching. That was one of those things where they're out of it and he's got something in his shoulder and they just shut him down. Mm-hmm. Had they been competitive, although he wasn't terribly competitive, <laughs> they may have shut him down because he's throwing batting practice his last few games, last few starts. But- they were they were no way designed to be competitive last year, and they actually they actually way outplayed their projection, right? Last well, I mean, we know, right? They had the f- they had the fifth best record in the National League after the All Star game. That's right. <laughs> the <laughs> biggest, the second me. biggest accomplishment in Cub history behind the World Series. Yeah. So watch what you say. And I'm I've already had my tickets to the banner raising. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I I won't be a dry eye in the house. When they unfurl that, that goes right next to their uh, um, eight straight years of not paying the luxury tax or whatever banner they're going to hang for that. That'll all be neat. Yeah, right. Well, speaking of that, the Cubs don't have a lot of money left because prior to adding in whatever they're paying Smiley, not including that, they're about $30 million shy of the first CPT threshold of $233 million. That's not including Smiley. We also know that the Cubs generally hold back about, say, $10 million a year when they're pretending to be competitive to, for trade deadline acquisitions. So if they continue that practice, that means they got $20 million minus whatever they're paying Smiley, which is, what, 10 Something like that. They've only got about $10 million left. That's assuming that Ricketts has even approved them to go up to $233 million, which is a big assumption. Oh, come on. Crane says... Crane says they got all kinds of money. And yeah. are you not going to believe Crane, Kenny? I mean, come on. Well, I, when has Crane I, ever led us astray? Never. He no. is very genuine. Never, never fibbed at all. But there's all these proclamations. Oh, we're going to get Conforto, and we're going to get this guy. We're going to get this. There's no money to get these guys, gang, unless they go well over that threshold, which they have not shown any interest in doing. They haven't shown any interest in going near it lately. I kind of wish, uh, and this is maybe a little obvious, that the Cubs were like provably, demonstrably better for a team that's kind of close to the that threshold. Like it would be nice if we, you know, they we knew that they were on the verge of ninety-two wins or something, or the playoffs or whatever. Or close. We're still kind of guessing with what they have. 
and uh, you know, we're assuming some things. And I just, I, uh, you know, I like what they've done with the up the middle defense, but you know, I'm not sure if Bellinger is going to hit beyond 217 and all that. So, um, and the catching is, you know, it, it's not Wilson anymore. So, and I, I don't know about the starting pitching depth. I like the the tie on acquisition, but you know. Adrian Sampson at the at the end of that rainbow doesn't get me too excited. So for a team that's, you know, on the verge of spending, you know, as much as they can, I just wish I had a little more confidence in what yeah. they have. Speaking of catcher, is, is John on the depth chart is the number one now? They, right? He's, they haven't. He's yeah. the only. Oh, yeah. one. Well, I guess PJ Higgins. PJ Higgins, I guess. Yeah. But he's oh, the only catcher they have. Your free nachos. Okay. Yeah. Well, if they were if they were run like a real team, though, they wouldn't be that worried about um, going over the luxury tax because it's first year. They wouldn't be a repeater because Hendricks and Hayward's money—they get a lot of money falls off again next year. Seventy million dollars falls off. a lot. Yeah, plus potentially Stroman too. Yeah, and not potentially. He's unless they'd have to. He's opting out, so it's unless big. he has a bad year. If he has a bad year, gets hurt or something, yeah. But oh, that's true. Uh, but, but besides, I don't that, remember what yeah. his third year is. It's worth it to him, I think. To yeah, if he's hurt, he'll he's going to come back. If he's healthy, he's right. out the door. So if you were a real team, you wouldn't be that worried about it because you could easily not repeat, especially Easy. given next year's free agent class, which is bad. So right. this was this is the year to spend, and they kind of yep. did. Um. I, for the life of me, I'll never understand the logic behind giving Cody Bellinger one year. I just, I don't understand why. If your goal is to turn him back into a really good player, then apparently your goal is to turn him into a really good player so he can go somewhere else next year and cash in. And I know they were like, well, Boris wouldn't give him a, he wouldn't let anybody give him a second year. It's like, well, there was a way to make that work. They, they seem perfectly fine with. Oh, that's great. That's what. Look at this low risk. I don't understand what the upside for them is. If he's bad, he's bad, and you're out of it. I guess that's good. But if he's what if good, he's, he's, you know. But what if he's really awesome? What if he turns it around between now and April, and the Cubs are shitty, and they can flip him? Does he? Does he have a no trade with that one year deal? Oh, no, they can trade him. That's I know that's not. They'd end, I'm sure they'd have to eat the. See, he's only twelve million dollars on this year's payroll because his buyout is five and a half next year. So I'm sure to trade him, they'd have to eat the five and a half. Well, I think I understand. I think I understand their logic. Not saying I agree with it, but I think their logic for that would be, um, we're going to compete this year, and Cody Bellinger, if nothing else, gives us a Gold Glove caliber center fielder to go with now a Gold Glove shortstop and and second baseman and and, and? of course uh, of course Ian Happ your buddy go, go, and, left uh, fielder go, go yeah. left fielder and Sam Suzuki is a good defense so th- so they would say okay well we're really good our up the middle defense is really good our corner outfielders are are strong and because we're going to compete this year and if we do that's great and and by saying it by only giving him one year then he's not blocking Brennan Davis and Pete Crow Armstrong and all these guys and Boris is not going to let him, and we wouldn't have Bellinger be, if uh, we insisted on more than one year. So it's better to have him. Hope we compete. If we do great, and then he'll be gone, and we got other guys coming up. I imagine that's their line of yeah, thinking. I, I'm sure that's their logic. I, it wouldn't be my logic if I was running the team. I would, 
I don't understand. I don't get the value to the Cubs of the one-year rental in center field. Um, I would rather have a guy that I think because they don't have because they don't have any offense. I would rather have a guy then and they have to worry about it next year about okay now where are we going to play? Ooh, where are we going to play all these guys? There are too many guys now. Uh, they don't have an issue. If they really wanted to, they could start a lineup that everybody is a plus defender, including Hap, I guess. If you put the great, uh, the FX is the Bears' favorite first baseman, Alfonso <laughs> Rivas at first, put Wisdom at third, and then prop, you know, give Jan. Remember Josh Fegley didn't actually squat? Maybe just tell Jan, just one knee. That's fine. We'll try yeah. to get you through as many games as possible. And they can have a really good defensive team, and then they can lose every game four to one, which would be great. I am appreciate you guys are making me appreciate that that is some some pretty serious leather. Now that you know you got Swanson on board with Bellinger, Suzuki solid and right. I know world's tallest midget in left field, but man, Horner's uh, that's a really strong up the middle. And Wisdom, as much as he's like you think of him as a big like huge swing and miss home run guy, he's a really good third baseman. That's a mm-hmm. yeah. The, save a few runs. The, met, the, the metrics right. were really kind to him two years ago and not last year. Defensively, they, oh, didn't, like, right? they didn't like him at third. I've seen him though. No, yeah, yeah he, I know. I th- I think he's good. I think he's a good. He's third got player. some quickness. Yeah, he's got a good arm. He'd make air. You know, make errors and stuff. But I he seemed one of the better third basemen I've seen there. Yeah, yeah. Well, plus he had Frank. He had Frank Schwindel and Anthony well, right. pick, and pick his, it and, for and him his cast too. iron skillet <laughs> that he would you know, hold in his left hand. Yeah, right. Uh, Frank's off to Japan. So, yes, I saw that. No, I didn't have the option of bringing him back because I was hoping. Darn. I was holding out hope for more Schwindel. Maybe he'll be a cult hero like Matt Merton. Yeah. Schwindel, I would take, but not Schwindel. <laughs> what? So, I don't know. I mean, they, they're talking about Trey Mancini at first base. You know, I, Trey's a hell of a guy. I don't know. He didn't hit very well last year in Baltimore and hit atrociously in Houston. And he doesn't really play first very well. And he can't really so, play the outfield so, very well. Sounds like a cub already. Uh, but you got that. And, of course, <laughs> that. you guys would be amazed to know that no one yet has scooped up Fran Mill Reyes. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I thought for sure that uh, – you know, when the Cubs DFA'd him, somebody would swoop in and give him like eight years, 160 million. But it hasn't happened. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So I'm sure there's, I, I there's a minor league invite for Fran Mill somewhere in the offing. I'm sure. What do you think of Conforto as a possibility? I would, if you're going to do Bellinger, I would do him too. Then. He's a Boris guy too. Isn't yeah, he? and Conforto's going to want the exact same kind of contract. He's going to want one year. I think Conforto would be interested in the Cubs in that. Well, he's interested in cash. Um, but I have a feeling coming off of a shoulder surgery, the idea that he might have a considerable amount of time at DH probably doesn't wouldn't hurt his feelings. He'd still get to play some outfield to prove he could do it. Um, you are not going to need him to throw, right? Because of that <laughs> that shoulder surgery and the injury before that is. Uh, I, I saw. I thought I saw something where he's uh, he's throwing from 120 feet right now. Oh, yeah, Boris is bragging that he's already thrown for more feet than all the other players who aren't working out yet are. <laughs> <laughs> he's thrown a lot farther than these other guys. How far are they thrown, Scott? Well, no, none. But that's farther. 
Remember when Paul O'Neill punted the ball back into the infield with the Reds? Why mm-hmm. can't Michael Conforto learn how to do that? True. Drop kick. Yeah. Get Doug Flutie to come by, show him how to do it. Or with all the soccer players around because of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. How would well Dansby Swanson's wife mm. plays soccer for the Red Stars? Have her come right. over, teach Michael how to kick the ball back into the infield. So like these makes... people, I could see Nico like then re- thinking he couldn't use his hands and like trying to head the ball. It could it could turn into a real mess. So I'm sure it's been pointed out that Dansby Swanson is not the first Cubs shortstop to be married to a uh, professional level soccer player. It had to be pointed out, right? It's a good like thing. Larry, Larry Boa was married to Willie Roy. Is that right? I was going to say Ivan De Jesus used to go out on dates with <laughs> Carl Heinz Granitza. <laughs> there's all kinds uh, of parallels. There's the there's the Nomar one. Uh, there's also. Don't the say last, Jeff Bowser. Yeah, the last time the Cubs brought <laughs> no. in a big time no. Atlanta bar. For oh, the oh is that right? Yeah. Blouser, last... I forgot. Blouser had, you know, we we all remembered the stats about how he killed the Cubs, and he did. His numbers were ridiculous. He had like three fifty. <laughs> he did. His Cubs. He had a three homer game against him once. And he was the Cub killer when he was with when he was with the Braves and when he was with the Cubs. Um, yes. <laughs> he he had had a huge year with the Braves the year before. He had like an 880 OPS for the Braves. And then the, it was a huge coup that the Cubs signed him. And he was a key member of that 98 team. Uh, handing shortstop over to was that the first incarnation of Jose Hernandez? Who played shortstop? It was. Jose Hernandez? It was the first, yep. Yikes. Wow. When was Manny Alexander? Also that year, Manny was never really an everyday guy. He was just, you know, Sammy's bag man. I think he was Literally. on the he was <laughs> he was he was on the he was on the '98 Cubs though. So yeah. Okay, so the two what are the the, the two most famous things about Manny Alexander? Didn't Manny um, when the Bat Boy got busted in Boston with the steroids? They were Manny's. Was that right? I thought it was Santa. Was it in America? Okay, yeah. But then there was a um, connection there. But then with the Cubs, it was he, him, and Sammy were sitting next to the towel with the money in it in the hotel lobby when it got stolen. So that was <laughs> down in the South Caribbean, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Manny was on a team on a franchise full of terrible base runners. Manny is top five. <laughs> he never got thrown out on a on a on a walk. He never got thrown out a second on a walk. Like Ronnie Cedeno? But I mean, it's not for lack of trying. <laughs> oh, he was the best. They had quite, there was quite a run there with Manny and Jose Macias. Ray Sanchez. Yeah. Jose Macias is another one. The gremlin. Jose Macias. Yeah. Just yeah. Ray, uh, Jose, Jose Vizcaino, who went on to greater things, but he was kind of in that mix. Ray Sanchez. Well, remember that the year, the, the first full year when Sandberg was retired. Jose was like a bona fide all-star candidate. He was at like first year. 26 at the break. No, the first four years. Not, not when not breakout was 98. Uh, I think Ray I think Ray Sanchez kind of assumed the Sandberg's job more than Jose Hernandez. Well, I remember no, not Jose Hernandez, Jose Vizcano. He was hitting like My bad. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And then he ended up hitting like uh 240 for the season. 
So he actually he actually did, tore it up in '93, and then he got traded for Anthony Young um, between '93 and '90. Jose Vizcaino did, and he did have like a long career after that. So he was gone right before Sandberg retired. Like I said, there's a rotating cast of nondescript, usually Latin middle infielders back then. Dave, I'm sure remembers it well. So does Mike. At times. Well, the under Dusty, the middle infield, the backup middle infield guys are a blur. It continued it's, it's under Dusty. It's amazing how Ramon. many different guys they had. Like if if you can think of a guy from that era, he played for the Cubs. Like uh, <laughs> um, Damian Jackson. Mm. With oh, a spider wow. tattoo with the spider web tattoos on his elbows. Every time <laughs> I saw it, it just looked like it. It just hurt. It's like how bad does it hurt to get your el the bone of your elbow uh, tattoo? We talk about Yachty's neck, but boy, the elbows. Oh, the elbow. It's underrated. It's Tony, underrated. Yeah. Tony Womack. Yeah. Um, Another one. Of course, Ramon Martinez. Dusty's Moni. Dusty's best friend. He had to bring him around. Um. I just remember going through all the remember this craps every time we go through the roster at the end. It's just amazing how many Ray Ordonez. Remember, um, oh yeah, Ray it's Ray it. wept on his final day with the Cubs, right? Well, he, made, he, he made that error and lost the game, and then they cut him the yeah, next day. Yeah, he was crying in the dugout. He got cut right away. He was crying after the game. We also had Cesar Asturias and his ball juggling act <laughs> yeah. a few years later. That's still that's violent. He would. Uh, he would have been canceled if he did that today. Yeah. Aramis didn't seem to mind, though. He was stoked. Huge home run that he hit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, do you remember Sorry, who traded Greg Maddox for Cesar Asturias? Wasn't it Greg Maddox? Greg Maddox, yeah. Actually, probably Scott Boris. There was a lot of that going on in that era. Phil Nevin traded himself to the Twins. Well, Jim Henry was checked out, right? That's well, Henry would basically throw up his arms, like, you know, I don't know. And then the agent like, would my... work out a trade and call Jim, and, like, here's what you can get. He's like, okay. He's, and they just right. do it. He's He's like the sweater-vested yacht captain that, that hired me is gone. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. So, anyway. I saw a Lee McPhail stat today. Um, before James Click, he was the first general manager of a World Series winner not to return the next year. That would be the grandfather, right? Uh, Larry McPhail. Oh, Larry? Right. Yeah. With the Yankees. He built the Reds in 39 and 40 that won pennants after uh, returning after the Black Sox series. Now they were terrible for 20 years. And he built them, and then he took off for Brooklyn and built them like after Branch Rickey and then turned them around. And then he finally won a World Series with the Yankees. And then. Yeah, he got shit faced on the train ride home and insulted everybody and basically lost his. He was like a like a, a wild kind of a character. Didn't sound anything like Andy McPhail, but his <laughs> his son Lee, who eventually was the American League president, 
He's the guy who's probably most famous for as the Baltimore GM for the Frank Robinson trade when he dealt Milt Pappas for uh, Frank Robinson, which kind of propelled uh, was t- the Orioles. Terrible trade. I, I, terrible trade I asked this. Who wouldn't want Milt Pappas over Frank Robinson? <laughs> yeah, right. I asked this with a, with a sense of amazement. Donnie, how do you remember that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is I once every wrote, podcaster is going to remember this crap. If he's yeah, I know, but how is this possible? <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a long screed years ago, and I was uh, just a total uh, just anonymous blogger for Dan. You probably remember the Goat Riders of the Apocalypse. Oh, who could forget the Goat Riders? Oh, yeah. My buddy Kurt, uh, and it was a, it was in 2006, and I did a lot of research. And the whole thing was about how Andy McPhail was a fraud with the Cubs, and he was because his 87 World Series championship was such a absolute. Uh, ill-gotten game for him to take credit for. And even 91 was basically a couple trades that he made, but still. And I went into it, and actually his grandfather was pretty impressive, and his dad was. I mean, but they were, you know. But Andy, Larry, and Andy just, was. it kind of stuck in my memory. He sure was. And, wow. Yeah. But Andy got to claim the 87-91 twins, and it always burned me. So I broke it down, exposed what a fraud he was. And in, doing, in so doing, though, learn a little bit about uh, good old Larry McPhail, the apparently – belligerent alcoholic but mad baseball front office genius so did do you think did andy mcphail build less of the 87 twins than theo built of the 04 red sox all i know is he what he got dan gladden is that about his only acquisition everybody on that team didn't didn't draft score the winning run in the world series was he the 87 twins that was 91 all right yeah and he uh, did pick him up randy did randy bush or gene larkin drive him in they sure wouldn't Scott Lewis. Sorry, I'm just throwing out random '91 twins. No, no, no. The '87, like like Frank Viola, Kirby Puckett, even Greg Gagne, all those guys were drafted before McPhail. A uh, Burt Blylevin, I think, may have traded for him. I don't know, but it was just absolutely riding the coattails in the name and the last name, because we all knew it. Lee McPhail. His name was on the American League baseballs and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were just cursed as Cub fans to like have to endure the ill-gotten success of McPhail. It gave him a lot more rope than he probably deserved with the Cubs. Well, we should have a new game. It's six degrees of Michael Kostroff. So, <laughs> who? of who? Michael Kostroff. Who? Yeah. You and- oh, your guy. Yes. The so, wire. So Sorry. You've, so you've yeah. seen the podcast traffic. For I've, the I've, podcast. I listened to the podcast. People should go listen to that. It's a good one. Wire, but I listened to the um, it hasn't been downloaded very much, so there's, the, the audio quality will be excellent. Um, So you could go Andy McPhail, and you could connect him. I'm sure to Bart Giamatti, right? Because he would have they would Bart would have been the commissioner when Andy was uh, general manager of the Twins, and then uh, Paul Giamatti and Michael Kozlov were on billions together. Look at these four. You connect them in four. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's try another one. No, it's that's probably the one we can actually do. (laughs) That was worth it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any more exciting Cub stuff that we could talk about. It was a look back. I was at a game where Schwindel and Wisdom had back-to-back homers to win a game in, in July, so that was fun. Did you run over? Did you run across the street and get your Schwindel shirt to celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can still get them. They're probably deeply discounted, and you can use the Decipio 25 code at the Avi shirt. Uh, Ooh, 
and get Ooh, an extra 25% off. off. You, pro- you may get paid to take one if you use the code. <laughs> Does that work in... Send your can, shirt? I just walk up to the, can I walk up to the register and be like the Scipio 25 and that'll work? I don't see why not. Okay. They'll just look cool. at you like, what are you... Are you have, sir, are you having a seizure? <laughs> Do you smell toast? Do you smell burnt toast? <laughs> I smell cut grass. <laughs> okay, have a, have a seat. Help us on the way. <laughs> yeah, let's see great moments of the 2022 Cubs. Uh, actually, I thought of this. So Jameson Tyon in his uh, introductory press conference was talking about how excited he is to be a Cub and to get $68 million. And... <laughs> Um, how like his mom went to Northwestern and he was going to get $68 million from the Cubs and his dad was from the Chicagoland area and he's going to get $68 million from the Cubs. And, but he talked about how his first road trip with the Pirates was to Wrigley Field. And it was in 2016. The Cubs were kind of good in 2016. And so I looked it up and Pirates got shot out by Jake on the first Friday. He remembered that. um, But then he was talking about how, you know, he talked to uh, Scott F. His former Yankee teammates, Anthony Rizzo and Scott F. Ross, and he talked to Trevor Williams. Trevor said, oh, his former so, pirate teammate, Trevor Williams, Trevor talked about how great it is and how they'll put your dad on TV every week and it'll be fun. <laughs> but I also thought, I'm like, how he had to be super impressed with the Cubs. He would have been sitting in the Yankee dugout last summer when they let Anthony Swarmer give up seven home runs oh. in a start against the Yankees. You think Tyon's sitting there going, "Oh, that's this is a team I'd really like to play for." That's a manager. That that's that he that guy's for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow! It was home, home run derby. It was home run derby practice. All off poor Anthony Swarmer. Well, I'm not sure I've have I heard you correctly, but I seemed like repeatedly I heard something about sixty-eight million dollars. I'm wondering. I'm thinking that may have been the real motivation behind all this. <laughs> oh no, 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 he had a lot of stuff. Craig Breslow, they showed him a video, and Craig talked to him for two hours, and then $68 million, and then he he signed. He's a a cancer survivor, right, Tyone? He's a cancer survivor and a two-time survivor of Tommy John disease. Wow. Okay. So let's – he's – he's – Wow. He's met his spending limit on the insurance already. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it's deductible. That may have that may have been part of the reason the Cubs are like we don't we're you know it's all out of pocket for him. We're gonna like sign him. <laughs> he uses the insurance like yeah, but he's got to pay it all. That's worth it. <laughs> Andy, do you think that uh, Jason Hayward will will stick around to the final cut with the Dodgers? Um, oh, did they offer? Did they offer him a non-roster? Yeah, he's got yeah. a he's got a minor league deal with the. He's going to spring training with the Dodgers. Dodgers, okay. Basically a trade: Cody Bellinger for Jason Hayward. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Except uh, the Cubs have to pay all the money. Right. On both ends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're so you're asking: Will he make it? Will he be on the opening day roster? Is that what you're asking? Well, I actually, I mean, I was phrasing it in, in not as positive of a way. I, I I'm assuming that he's going to get cut before the season starts, and I'm just wondering if they'll make it to the last cut. Oh, I see. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say they do the thing where with, like, 10 days to go in spring training, they tell him, we don't think you're going to make it. Why don't we cut you, and then you'll have a chance to catch on 
you know, you'll you can go to spring training for a week, the last week or so with somebody else. But he's yeah, bad. He's so, so bad. So the answer is no, but with a caveat, kind of. And Hayward will go, that's the nicest thing any team's ever done for me. Yep. <laughs> and he'll, that could be 178 or whatever, right. 87. And then every two weeks, his uh, uh, alert will come up on his phone that the Cubs have sent him another $3 million or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's weird to be on the other end of that contract now. It felt so. It's I remember like three years in, and like we felt the window closing. And it was like oh my, like you don't even want to think about it. You know, oh my god, how many years left do we have of that contract? Like we actually lived through it. I mean, the great thing about it didn't, that, get, it didn't get any better. The great Sorry, thing about no. that contract was it was designed for him to leave after three years. If he took, if he was awesome, the Cubs were like. I guarantee you, they, they the the big brains sat around that conference room table, and they're like, "He's twenty six. He's he's an all star player. Of course, he's gonna he's not he's gonna opt out of this after three years, and he's gonna go sign a huge deal with somebody else, and then that's gonna line up with all of our you know waves of talent coming out of the minor league system. This right? Is perfect. The eight years is a you know is that's pretend. We're never gonna have to pay this guy for eight years. It's right. a three-year deal. Whoa! Look how smart we are. And they're like, you know what? We'll even give him an opt-out after the fourth year, just in case. <laughs> He's definitely going to take that. And they put a no trade in it, and it's like that contract is the no trade. Mm-hmm. You don't need to put a clause in it. Every team's going to be like, uh-uh, new. No. Yeah. So it's, instead of it being a situation where. You know, he outperforms it, but it doesn't matter because they're so rich in talent, they can let him walk. Instead, it becomes the reason they use to basically undercut, you know. I mean, after the Darvish trade, they, you know. It it really did. Hard Darvish, yeah. I mean, uh, a weight room speech aside, no matter how valuable that one was, (laughs) it really hurt them for years after that because it was 22. Two and a half million dollars on average every year that they couldn't spend on other shit that they needed. They were getting very little production out of him, and they had the garbage family sitting around going, "Right, you said they gave, couldn't we, spend. We gave you that money, and yeah, you used yeah. it on him. You spent right. your allowance, basically, and now you want more. <laughs> hmm. Go get a paper route, Theo. Wait, speaking of that weight room, so did, was this something you and Mooney talked about? Was did that speech have to do with the players were pissed off at Joe, or am I, or am I misremembering that? Was that part of the speech that they were pissed off with with Madden? Mooney talks about how the fact part of that in that was that they were pissed at the way Joe had managed the game. It was part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um. And the frustration was manifesting itself. And- I mean, I would have been time. in there screaming at David Ross. That's what I would have been doing. For calling nothing but fastballs. <laughs> calling nothing but fastballs. Throwing a ball into right. the stands on a swing. Right. Having a f- ball bounce off his mask so two runs could score while he laid <laughs> yeah. there like like uh, Ralphie's little brother, Randy. Yeah. Can't get, <laughs> just rolling around on the ground like a slug. He had turtle on his back. <laughs> He'd have been like, I hit a home run off Andrew Miller. I guess you did. So you got one back. Um, Dave, yeah. do you know this? So the the the, the Hayward 
if if Hayward makes the Dodgers, makes the the, the, the major league team, do the do the Dodgers pay him the minimum of seven hundred seventy thousand? And the Cubs pay the rest, or are the Cubs on the hook for every penny of it? Do you know? I always thought it was the former myself. No, um, as I understand it, uh, the, the Cubs are paying him that, and whatever else he gets from the Dodgers, whether oh, it's minimum or whatever, is on top. Is on top. That's what. Oh, okay. That's what Mooney thought too. I asked him the same thing. He, oh, okay. He, I, I think we all think of it like um, when a like a coach gets fired. And he goes to a new school, mm-hmm. and then they just give him for the they work the contracts out that, like, if he's got three years left at another school, they pay him almost nothing the first three years. So the <laughs> other school has to pay him all of it because they have the offset in the clause. I don't know if there's an offset in a standard MLB contract. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I think that has to be special language put in. I think uh, w- what can happen is when. A player goes on waivers. That's when it, it's uh, there's more of a you know an uncertainty about that. Where the, uh, um, the the new team claiming a guy on waivers, if they claim if if Hayward had been claimed on waivers, then that new team would get the contract. The that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. But instead, so, they simply didn't exercise the option. Is that or the the option wasn't exercised? Right? Is that um, the difference? On this, on Hayward, no, they just right. they just released him. They, yeah, right. I'm sorry, there's nothing to do with an option. They have one full. They got to pay. They are paying this year, no matter what. Yes. Okay. No. Okay. Now the one thing I don't know is, uh, I one okay. thing I do know is even if there's an offset, and say that the Dodgers are paying him seven hundred grand, and like it saves the Cubs seven hundred grand for the collective bargaining tax purposes, the full amount. I think both teams get charged for him. So the Dodgers, his seven hundred grand goes on the Dodgers payroll, and the full mm. amount of his contract stays on the Cubs. So they're he's a twenty-two yeah, and a half million too. dollar hold on the Cubs, no matter right, no matter what, no matter he what. Makes somewhere else, right? Okay. So you can't just cut a guy and then weasel out a part of his contract. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> Eric Hosmer, I'm, has he cleared waivers yet? I'm, I think it's been. I don't know how many days a, it I is think it's put enough time, but I'm not sure. That's a great question. I've kind of been seeing if the the Royals were interested, but I don't see a place for him. Well, I, there's a place for him in Chicago. He can be part of the all <laughs> the all glove, no stick Cubs. <laughs> is he still as good a defensive first baseman as he was? Wasn't that kind of was some of the knock was that you know he can't hit anymore, and now he and he's not as good a first baseman. Maybe not. Maybe I'm dreaming. Uh, no, he's not as good as he was. Seems like you have good hands. You're going to be a good well, like, baseman even if you can't bend over. Even if you – the idea of a no-hit, no-glove first baseman almost seems like a unicorn to me. I feel like mm-hmm. most first basemen should be expected to hit. Seems like a French Wendell to me. Well, yeah, there's there's some uh, – I mean, you could be in a glove. Well, I – yeah, yeah you there are think some. So. Uh, last or year, least, I mean, fielding Bible, which is my fielding Bible – um, did not like Hosmer. He was like a minus five in total runs saved. Well, that's not good. So, no. Uh, I mean, that's, that's not absolute. Defensive metrics are still a little weird, and even sometimes for one season it's hard to say with definitively that a guy is or isn't based on one season. But um, 
He's he's not what he used to be. No, uh, defensively uh, hitting actually, you know he isn't that. It's funny, he's probably like much worse defensively than he used to be, and maybe just not quite as good offensively. He's he was never, uh, you know, he had a couple of really good years with the Royals, never in a row, and then mostly he's been about you know two or three percent better than average league average as a hitter so which is not what you want at first base you want much higher than that but um yeah but his defense is not well you said uh, you said it was much worse than it used to be but it was also at one point at a pretty high level i I assume right yeah 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 Uh, yeah, uh, yes his defense last year rated poorly in the past rated well yeah i think it's on those two royals world series teams he was he was demonstratively good defensively at first base. Like he was yeah. making plays in those playoff runs. So you're like, holy shit. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was he was a top notch defender at for much of his career, I would think. Right. Yeah, I mean, as much as above average, like shortstops, and, and definitely, well, maybe not shortstop, but um, third baseman historically up until long, really center field. Historically inept. Um, there are certain positions that we've just gotten accustomed to mediocrity, but first base is not one of them. So I'm trying to adjust here to to just having a guy at first base. Are you saying we're used to mediocrity in center field? It, <laughs> I, that seems that seems high. I think even before I think I've taken a, a run of mediocrity in center. That's, we've oftentimes been less than that. I mean, everyone knows about that whole third base thing, but I think even before Aramis Ramirez came in, that kind of broke it up between like Madlock and Sandal. Even by that point, it was overrated compared to center field. Even even by then, it was Advanced like law. because you, at least you, at Advanced least you law. at least you right at least you had Santo in the sixties. Yeah, center, not having a center fielder is one of the fatal flaws of the DeRocher era. But it goes all the way back to. Uh, Go ahead, Andy. Who's the black and white player? The last real center fielder? Like maybe eight seasons. Not even that. It's playing center. Andy Pafko? Yeah. But then well, I always come back to you. You, you Rick, always want me to. I, I, get, right. I get ripped for not, including Rick Monday. Because he is the last center fielder to have only four. Four. You just. Consecutive seasons with at least 140 starts. You're just full of pride that he saved the flag. Yes. Right, as a member of the that clouds that clouds all of your other thing is him grabbing that lighter fluid soaked flag while the hippie was sitting there with his lighter trying over and over again to get it to spark. <laughs> Two hippies. That is one of people should Google this. That is one of the the Dodgers the Dodgers because it happened in Dodger Stadium, right? Even it's future stuff. team. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers did a bobblehead of Rick. With the flag, running with the flag, it's really cub good. uniform. Yeah, it was a, it was a Dodger bobblehead, yeah. but the guy they're running was in the, cub the cub, in the cub It's a really good bobblehead. Well, he's famous in uh, Los Angeles for hitting the uh, the, the pennant clinching homer off of Steve Rogers in 1981. Came off the bench. Rogers came came in really. I remember watching that game. It was at Columbus Day. I was home from school. Rogers, Steve Rogers, perennial 
Expo stalwart starter. I Came out of the Dan Dan Rogers. Yeah, I mean, the fucker was in ice for seven and years. It, can, it wasn't even the same game when they thought him out. He was trying to leave he, his uh, glove on the mound, and it was awful. For, former Cub Ray Burris started the rubber game five match and did very well. He'd thrown a shutout earlier in that LCS, but uh, Rogers came out of the bullpen for only the third time in his career in a tie ball game. Fucking Rick Monday. That's the closest the Expos ever came to the World Series. But Rick Monday broke their hearts. So he became a Dodger hero for that. But he was already a Dodger hero what he did in another uniform, obviously. Mike, your your recall is pretty impressive. The detail. Yeah. Thanks, the Dave. confidence. Your diction. The way you're explaining it back to us is uh, odd. Odd, oddly great. Oh, that's me. Nice to meet you. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Hey, once in a while I'm wrong though too. So you know, grain of salt. Well, it doesn't sound there. like it. Like no, I yeah. right. Very calm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even when he's wrong, it sounds like he's right. <laughs> right. This one I'll I'll stake my uh, children's lives on. Rick Monday, Dodger hero, multiple reasons. But yeah. Oh, so this brings up a good point. So um, we because one of the things we we learn on remember this crap is that there are certain things in our memory we are sure happened. That didn't happen the way we remember them. Like yeah. as we look into it, we're like, "Oh wait, this what?" And we had one of those things at when I was at Thanksgiving. I was at Thanksgiving at my. Um, uh, we ended up at the, at the, in-laws of my nephew's house. Our, we just ended up over there, and I, I didn't really know, the the dad, um, but he was, he started telling a story about. Um, this crazy play he had seen in an Illinois Wisconsin football game, and I realized that I had been there for this crazy play. It was at, it was at Camp Randall. It was the year before Illinois went to the Rose Bowl, so it was eighty two. Eighty two. And him and I remembered this play exactly the same way. We remembered it, and it was um, a a bounce pass lateral that then turned into a touchdown pass. And it was it happened in the final seconds of the game. And we both remembered it as Tony Eason throwing a pass to Davey Williams. And basically Williams took two steps back. Eason purposely bounced the ball on the turf. The bad uh Davey acted like it oh shit, it was you know, like it's incomplete. Chasing after and the it. tight end just goes tearing ass down the field and all of a sudden Davey rears up and throws this long touchdown pass and Illinois wins. And how exciting. And we both talked about it. And we were amazing other people explaining, you know, how the play worked and all that stuff. And so when I got home, I decided to look it up. That's not at all what fucking happened. <laughs> and I, I have an excuse. I was I was nine years old. He was like <laughs> 25, but still. The pass was Randy Wright to Al Toon. Of Wisconsin. Yes. And, but in my mind, where I pictured it happening, I, as I saw on the replay I watched on YouTube, it happened in the exact part of the field that I remembered it happened. Randy Wright bounces it to Al Toon. All the Illinois guys stop. The Wisconsin tight end runs up the middle of the field. He throws a touchdown pass. Wisconsin takes a two-point lead with, like, 50 seconds to go. Illinois gets the ball back, and Tony leads them right down into field goal range, and their little barefooted kicker makes a field goal at the buzz at the horn, and Illinois wins. Al also combined with quarterback Randy Wright and tight end Jeff Dolph <laughs> for the bounce pass play against Illinois. They found it. Enough. Holy shit. That's crazy. I, drop that link in the chat, Dave. So wow. it, just, it goes to show what both of us remembered it wrong. But we remembered that, 
like in our mind team. because Illinois won. Right, both, it, got, it got conflated yes. in the excitement of the sequence. We're so close to, to each other. It's basically it's the same. We had that same moment that Brian Williams had when he was explaining how the helica his helicopter right. in Iraq took fire when really it was the helicopter three helicopters behind him and he was well, never in danger and he got fired from NBC for lying about getting shot at in Iraq when he didn't is exactly the same as Jim whatever his last name is and me remembering that it was Tony Eason to Davey Williams when it was actually Randy Wright to Altoon. But that's what's called... Right. Well, that's what's called the Mandela effect. And I think I can bring up another one that we discovered, Andy, and that Dave and Mike being longtime Cub fans remember. And I even heard Pat Hughes after we re-edified ourselves just stumbling across this and had it corrected. Hall of Famer, Pat Hughes. Hall of Famer, now Hall of Famer, uh, but not former Cub, Pat Hughes. He, um, not yet. Um, he also in, enforces the wrong fact, and it was the opening day, 1989. And like, if, if you have a Dave, you have some pretty good recall, and I, I know you know your 80s Cubs. And you think, oh, the opening day, 1989, Mitch Williams's first appearance as a Cub, yeah. you know. And and so, what's the first thing you think of? Do you have a thought, Mike? Do you, uh, or maybe I don't know, Cruck? Uh... No, sorry, but a lot of fans remember. And we all remembered it this way, and it was that Mitch Williams, the wild thing, who, like, you know, the same year that Major League came out, and there's a character just like him played by Charlie Sheen, would he came in and loaded the bases. That's right. Walked the bases loaded. Loaded loaded them on on base and balls. And and every Cub fan I've met over since that, I was a senior in high school, like, it's all the same thing. And I know Pat Hughes said the same thing this year. And that's not what happened. No. Williams came in the eighth inning, and he was a little wild, and like, but then there was like all these cheap hit. In the ninth inning, he was like getting dinked and dunked actually, yeah. and then right. he, he did strike out the side with the bases loaded. Right. He walked one he guy, not. right? I don't even know if he, he may have walked one. I don't. But he did I not think, load the bases. I don't think he walked, walked anybody in the ninth. I think it was three. I, yeah, because we were. Because we if you look at the line and score, we like, he did have a lot of holy walks. Shit. And it's just one of those yeah. things where it became like the legend of him. The wild thing walks the bases loaded, and then strikes out the side. It's like right. these commercials where they throw the challenge flag, right? Yeah. Let's get, yeah. yeah. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, remember Dempster in Philly getting all sweaty, and he didn't he walk the bases loaded, and then Lou came out and chewed his ass, and he somehow got out of it. I remember Lou like like barking as he walked. I don't know if it was in Philly, it may have been as he was crossing the foul line towards the pitcher's mound and didn't even get to the mound before he turned around because he'd already said what he had we to told say. Him to throw fucking then, strikes. You could see it. Yeah, <laughs> you could see what he said, and he turned around, stormed off back to the dugout, so that him and Matt Sinatra could hop in a car on their way to Cincinnati and get lost. And one of the great <laughs> Lou Pinella stories of all time. They ended up in the wrong state. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good times. But it is weird. I mean, you just convince yourself, you know, that oh yeah, this is what happened, and then nowadays it's pretty easy to prove yourself wrong. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of a weird sensation. But yeah, Mitch Williams did not uh, walk anybody in the ninth. Single to center, single to left, single to short. But I think we had video or something. Even the description of Baseball Reference is like ground ball to deep short third base hole two in a row so he got dinked and dunked and uh still struck out the side somebody somebody let virgil patrick hughes know He's spreading misinformation I think we even watched what it might like you the... know what might have happened what what if i 
maybe he had a lot of full counts. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Maybe I'm that sure was he threw it. a lot of pitches. Uh, the the nineteen eighty nine baseball references still have uh, count information. So yeah, he went he, only one three and two. So yeah. Was it eighty nine or ninety when he got hit in the head with the line drive? Ninety nine. Off of, yeah, Jeff King in Pittsburgh. And uh Don Zimmer threw up, mate. You told me that. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Zimmer zooped on the field. Yeah, I mean, Not the first time. We'll talk about 84 when Mario Soto knocked his ass over and he swallowed his chew. Because he was hammered or for some other reason? No, he swallowed his chew. Oh, Mario's, it was the Mark whole Dennis Suckersley debut and uh, Ron Say hit a homer that was fair and not foul. And, and, Z- and Zimmer was causing such a scene that Soto got his red ass worked up and tried to knock him down. And, uh, so did red ass. Yeah. Yes. Hey, good call, Dave. I like it. Well, Zimmer had a thing for being slung around the field. Pedro, Pedro did it to him in the playoffs. By Hispanic players. I know. By yeah. Hispanic pitchers. Yeah, it would repeat itself, what, 19 years later? So Don was asking for it. it should be a Don Zimmer getting thrown on the field escape room. <laughs> well, Don has a, Don had a metal plate in his head. We all knew that, right? We were yeah. Cub fans in the 80s. I thought we, maybe that's why he threw up after Mitch Williams got is. hit in the head because it was like it was traumatic for yep. him. It was like uh, oh, I'm he, he had phantom or sympathy. He had sympathy pains. Yes. Made him bark. Yeah, I, I think this, the thing with Zimmer is he got beaten twice really bad, too. I don't think it was, yeah. Once a lot of guys Cubs, I think, right? May, yeah, he played for the Cubs. Yeah, yeah I don't know when he got beaten. He took one off the cap. One of my favorite things, when you look at, like, old-time baseball, you know, for a while, they had like, and, and they actually kind of had it. Who was the guy who had to wear the ridiculous, the big hat, and he had the little, like the little shield thing in it because he'd gotten hit in the head? Ellis Valentine. No, of recent vintage. They had, remember, they had those helmets. David Wright had a big pitchers. helmet, but you don't mean him, do you? No, this was a pitcher. We got hit in the head. It wasn't Chris Bassett, but it was, and he had to wear the big hat. It had like the yeah. things in it while pitching. Yes. Left-handed. I don't remember. I just remember yeah. that the hat looked ridiculous and. Um, you know, looks good on you though. But um, <laughs> for a while, the guys had like they would they, they you'd see Alex like Torres. That's what it was. Yes, the uh, the Mark Kelso of uh, baseball yes. with his extra Great big vision. extra big dome. Well, now those big hats are like a thing. Now he'd be <laughs> yes. like cool. We probably will probably see him in baseball. Guys wearing big hats out on the mound. Right, it's a style thing though. But you, you see, like, old uh, footage, and the, when they first started wearing batting helmets, I mean, the things are basically, like, the giveaways at the park when we were a kid. That's, like, two millimeters of plastic with a little right. plastic Right, it's got a mountain logo on the back. They're getting hit yeah. in the head with that. Uh, isn't, didn't, the ear flap, wasn't that invented for Ron Santo? Because he took one in the temple. And then he was the first player that had an ear flap on his helmet. I believe that's a real hmm. thing. I know he took one off the temple. Can't remember against home. Yeah. The good thing about that was he got hit in the head, but he could take one of the Ron Santo pizza, frozen pizzas and stick it right on his, right. hold it on his head at first base, and well, I mean, product was, placement while he was playing. With Santo, there always kind of maybe seemed to be a little bit of an Ernie Pantuzo vibe where. 
you know, he can get hit in the head a lot, and it's just not going to, you know. According to this, it was Earl Batty. Shit. Damn, good so, job, Dave. Uh, equipment manager Ray Crump on the Twins. Oh, Ray Crump. Crump. It's a great equipment manager name. It is. Yeah. Uh, improvised one for him and, and Tony Oliva. But, I, you know, it was 1961, so I could imagine Santo wasn't too far after yeah. that. Yeah, and Jack Fisher hit him in the face. That was 1966, October. I just looked it up. That was not from memory. So that was sort of like uh, Randy Wright's bounce pass. Yep. Just a little off. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And if you hadn't looked it up, I would have got away with it. Well, I wanted to know. I wasn't trying to catch you in a... No, that's fine. For you meddling kids. Yes. Yes. Take off my Scooby-Doo mask. And, um, <laughs> so, Dave, I was going to ask you about... Uh, if, if you, as a uh, as a big as a big baseball brain, uh, think this is a big deal or not. But So, Dansby Swanson, the Cubs' new shortstop. The, the knock on Nico, when Nico went over to play shortstop, was... Does he have the arm to play shortstop? And as we watched him play, it was pretty clear that he did. Um, Dansby, now this is the part I'm going to ask you. I looked it up on uh, MLB Advanced Media, whatever those this fancy stats are. And Come when on. they do mile per hour for throws from different positions, like um, O'Neill Cruz, number one, averages like 94 miles an hour a throw, even when he's like okay. just throwing the ball back to the pitcher. Um. Dansby ranked 48th out of 50 shortstops at, like, I forget what it was, 76 miles an hour. Nico was, I think, he was top 15 at, like, 85. And I had, the reason I looked it up was people are like, eh, Swanson's pretty shortstop. He doesn't really have a very good arm, which could be an issue. So do you think that a, I mean, that's a, it's, it's, should we be, should I get hung up on miles per hour? From an I would say throw. not too much. It uh, I would need, I I would like to see this is something that I have not looked up. I know that that was uh, like a recent addition this past season. I think to those those statistics that we get to see public facing. So um, I've not really looked at that, but uh, I you know so O'Neill Cruz. What did you say he was? Ninety five. It was something ridiculous. I should probably look it up because I wrote about it in the Pointless Exercise <laughs> newsletter. I mean, as long as we're not talking like Nick Madrigal's arm, I think. Well, uh, here was the thing: Madrigal and Dansby had about the same miles per hour, hmm. which I was a little troubled by. Well, uh, but Madrigal won, or uh, Dansby won the Gold Glove, so I think. I'm assuming Swanson, because I don't watch as closely as maybe in my younger years, but Swanson just what has incredible range. No, thing just no. This makes all the plays. He he can get Sandberg to it. He can get to it. Short. Out. Dansby averaged, averaged 79.2 miles per hour on throws. That ranked 48th out of 50 shortstops. Uh, O'Neill was 93.9 miles an hour. He was first. Javi was fifth at 88.7. And on the Cubs, of all play of all players, Dansby 79.2 would have ranked him 12th, just ahead of Nick Madrigal at 78.9. Hmm. Well, it's not anything that I've ever noticed when he's played that it, it's like uh, something that could be an obvious detriment. So there's um, and there's a huge advantage to outfielders. Right. They make the longer throws. They get to air it out. And so that's why o- o- O'Neal was 
um, like the outlier. He was first, and then everybody else on the list was an outfielder. I guess is mm-hmm. Nate was Nate Eaton an outfielder? The Royal. Yeah, he played third too, but he was a corner. So outfielder. He was second at ninety eight point one. Ronald Acuna yeah. at ninety seven point nine. Aristides Aquino, who was also off to Japan okay. and Korea. Oh. 96.3 and Oscar Gonzalez 96.2 so one thing about uh, another thing about defensive statistics you know we'll we'll see uh if the if the Cubs put him in the right position that will help you know if the if the, yeah. the Cubs scouts and their analytics people know where to put him on the field like the Braves people did you can account for things like that so um you know, turn a uh, something that's kind of a weakness into neutral or maybe a little bit of a, you know, something that isn't going to hurt you. Yeah. Which I think they did actually help Nico with that last year, if I read. Well, it's a great sign. So yeah, they have a good defensive lab. We need the, the pitch lab to come through now. So, so now for the um, no, for the shift rule, they didn't do the they didn't do the V right. Right. Where they draw the V off the second base, and you have to have two guys on each side of it. It's just you have to have two play two your you have to have two players on the on each side of second base when the pitch is thrown. Right. But you can run blitzes and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> just send Nico you gotta time it. Yeah, as soon as the wind up starts, Nico can point, bust right, ass over to second is, base. Is it when the pitch I don't know. That's a good question. Or is it when the ball's put in play? That's a good question, Mike. I'm not sure about that. I yeah, think I would say uh, it's either when the wind up starts like or when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. I would say you don't have to wait for the ball to be hit. Although honestly, no. at that point, you've got less than a second anyway. So, yeah, and then yeah, wow. But if it's the windup, I mean, couldn't a bunch of pitchers just adapt the? Well, it can't be. It wouldn't be a windup. Well, it could be. You don't have to have anybody on. Would we just get a bunch of pitchers doing the Paul Bird, where they right. do the big step back in the arms? We get the big windmill again, so that it gives the or maybe some extra Cortez action to run to their preferred spots. See, this is where I wish Joe was still managing the Cubs because, <laughs> because okay, if, let's say let's say you put Magic World second and he hits Swansby at short. You could Joe could put it, you know, Nico in center, and then if a pull heavy lefty came up, Joe would just put Nico like in the shift position basically because you could move the center fielder in, you can move an outfielder in. And can then, you? Yeah. Sure. I mean, why not? Yeah, not, I'm sure you could play. You could move a new. You could move an. Start out. sprinting in. No, you don't have to sprint in. You could just position. If he's the center fielder, you could position well, him wherever you wanted to. I'm, like st- I'm still trying to work this in concert with the old timey nine second wind up, which I think would be hilarious. <laughs> um, just realigning. Um, yeah, I'm coming in from center field. And I wonder you, if you could see Joe, you could see Joe Mann having a field day with that shit. Like every oh, for sure. Well, the other guy who, when he was lucid, would have was Ben Larusa. I mean, they yeah. already the the Cardinals already were, did that annoying thing. Remember, they did it for oh, like at least one full season, where their bunt defense would like charge. Like the infielders would, as the windup started, would start running in. So you had like all yeah. the fielders in motion. Which, if the balls hit to the right or left of them, they're all screwed because their momentum is going straight forward. But they were doing that. Is that the they wheel play or up. is that something else? I don't know. They would just like creep up. Maybe not all four of them. But and they would time it, and they, so they weren't. Instead of playing the infield in, he would start with them back, and then they would like charge in to be in. 
just to amuse himself, I think. One thing that'll be interesting, because one thing that a lot of some pitchers are going to miss is like the, the almost the rover with a left-handed batter up, the guy that um, Schwarber and Rizzo hit the ball to every time. I almost, deep... I almost wonder if some teams will just take the right fielder and just move him in. And it's just up to the pitcher to make the guy hit the ball on the ground. Like, you, you, you so know, this the, guy the can still field three, it and throw to first. But the nine three putouts will be a little more, uh, which would be kind of fun. Yeah. My, my guess is that uh, they'll just go back to the old way because you know you're not going to get criticized if you fuck that up as you are if you do try something crazy and it doesn't work. But it'd be more fun if they do it the other way. Hmm. Yeah, you could certain hitters you could just leave left field open. Just bring bring Hap over, have him play in the short spot. He used to play second base kinda. Mm-hmm. He could try it. And then all you need is a guy to swing late and hit a inside the park home run because he hit a six hopper <laughs> to the wall and left. There's nobody there to get it. Um Yeah, the another guy on the on the big arm list was Christopher Morell. And I was thinking a lot of that obviously came from when he was in center, but when he played third base, he seemed to try to knock the first baseman over with every throw. Like, he was amusing himself <laughs> by seeing how hard he could throw the ball. Basically, like, for the longest time, every time Wilson threw to Rizzo at first, the, the goal <clears throat> seemed to be to take the glove off of Rizzo's hand and knock it all the way to the foul pole. Makes me think of Dunstan, too. Yeah. Sean liked to pretend he was pitching from shortstop. Well, yeah, I he, I think I always felt like Sean was one of those guys. Like I had a roommate in college who uh, claimed he couldn't throw the ball accurately if he didn't throw it as hard as he could. Like if you were playing catch and you try to like take something off of it, you'd end up chasing the ball to the point where we would like if he threw it over his head, we, he had to go get it. Was this was this Mitch Gumstein? Your yes. <laughs> was doing his little night putting with the daughter of the dean. He's a good guy. So playing catch with him sucked because he was just throwing the ball. He could throw pretty hard. He just throwing the ball as hard as he could at you all the time. And it's like, would you just stop? I was got the feeling that was Dunstan, which was I just no. I have to throw this hard all the time. Oh, do you? Because it sucks to be the guy trying to play catch with you all the time. Um, yeah, my hope for Morell though is um, that they don't they. I mean, they could easily just wrap things up and be like, all right, Wisdom and Mervis are going to handle first, mm-hmm. and Morell's going to play third. And I just I don't want him to play every I just don't think he's going to hit if he plays every day. I think he's better, far better suited to, like, being the Swiss Army knife. And enough guys get hurt yeah. that he's you're going to get him plenty of at-bats. Uh, I just don't want them relying on him to be, like, their third baseman. I just, I don't think it's going to work. I was always envious of that Dodgers team in 2017, the year after it comes from the series, and like Chris Taylor, we're just in a playoff game, like in a league championship series, and just go from center field to shortstop. Arguably, arguably the two most important non-battery positions uh, on the field. And yeah, I know he wasn't like great at center or whatever, but it's like having that. What a useful thing just to do it competently. Those are such critical parts of the field. Taylor gave the Dodgers a big advantage during day games in center because he could he could if the sun was just right 
his those huge buck teeth of his, he could he could point them. He would be like this, you know, like almost like he had a mirror out there <laughs> to distract the hitter. Batter's eyes. Every time I see him play, it's like, does he not know that the Major League Baseball has a dental plan? <laughs> he Maybe gets, he's not in the union. Get, get those things fixed. <laughs> yeah, he's in the Damian Miller, Kevin Millar. Was there, a, was, there a, was there a strike that he didn't observe at some point that we don't remember? And he only has his likeness without the uh, licensing in the video games. <laughs> All right. Well, unless you guys have anything that you want to ask each other, I think we uh, we may have. Uh, uh, this was fun. This was fun. It was everybody together and sharing our knowledge or lack thereof of a t- poor recall of major events. Be on the lookout for my Jack Sanborn story on Decipio.com. Coming looking soon. forward to that. That's right. Yeah, I'm working on that. My uh, Johnny Morris piece, which I shelved, which which I shelved my down with Bobby Douglas piece uh, to write. <laughs> says Bobby Douglas <laughs> erased from the Bears record books. Uh, yeah, I guess we'd be we'd be remiss, I guess, to uh, to not welcome uh, Hub back to the. Uh, to, Hub's back. He turns out he had a he had a massive heart attack in front of the uh, in front of Hall's Hall, and he credits the the head of security there of basically he very casually said, and it was funny the way he said it when he was interviewed. He's like, "Well, as you know, during CPR, he had to break all my ribs." It's like, "Well, no, I don't think that's how that works. I think that was just a perk." Huh? <laughs> <laughs> when they give you open heart surgery, they break Trust all your me, ribs. This is, this is the best practice. Yeah, and just punch him. And once Hub got, you know, started to breathe again, he just was guy was just punching him in the ribs. Yeah, well, well, I think we riffed on it too. Like, I supposedly like he talked about how he was unconscious for three minutes. And I was like, well, how do we know he was unconscious for three minutes? Yeah, Unless we know. there were. Because that witnesses. guy stood there and was like, should I? Ah, it's going to look bad if he dies right on the sidewalk in front of the building. <laughs> the, the actual security cam footage, the guy is there, and you can literally see the angel and the devil on his shoulders <laughs> chatting with him. As they step over. And he finally oh. got down, and he, he resuscitated Hub. Um, so Hub was on like Pro Football Weekly, the TV show, which I can't believe is still a thing. And then he was on the score. When he was on the score, they were very careful. Like to, he, they weren't really talking like current bear stuff because Hub had been like he didn't even remember the beginning of the season. And then they wouldn't let him start watching games. Although they, they said that uh, he finally got to start watching uh, the when they played the Commanders. And both, both Spiegel and and Parker's like, oh, that's a what a rough week yeah. to get to come I'd back. Go I'm back sorry. <laughs> Uh, but he couldn't help himself. He started talking about uh, Justin Fields. Basically, said, "Well, you know, he's a great runner, but he's a he's 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 a well below average passer." I heard that. I couldn't believe after a, after his aneurysm or whatever, he was still going to plant his flag. <laughs> and so after the year, after they, the three months that Fields has had, and they both said exactly what everybody thought. Oh, he's back. Hub's back. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's as I wrote, it reminded me of that very moment of my favorite Norm Macdonald uh, weekend update joke, which was. Uh, Kiss was going on a reunion tour, and so he said, the good news is, Kiss is coming back. And the bad news is, they're still going to suck. 
<laughs> and that that's how I felt about Hub. I'm glad he's back and he's healthy, but he's still awful at his job. So. All right, with that, I guess, uh, thanks, guys, for coming on. Happy holidays to, to you and to all of our faithful listeners. Yes. Indeed. And to you. Yeah, nice to and meet to you, you both, Dave and Mike. This is the first time I had the pleasure. Out. Pleasure was pleasure was ours. It was Cheers, fun, Mike. Enjoyed, it was a good time. Uh, it was a good time. Many of us have herpes. I just wanted this to be over.